Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. I'm engineer and musician Ali Jafar, stationed in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm joined by my friend and fellow musician James Woodard, all the way from San Antonio, Texas. Today we're talking about hide-em-ups, a genre that I definitely 100% just made up to describe games that replace combat with hiding in barrels, like shoving your entire human body into them. I'm obsessed because we're both musicians, which means we both might be stupid. Hey, maybe that's what the title means. You don't know. And there's only one way for you, the listener, to find out. fucked up and i'm just like people you need to go fuck yourselves all you people all you people yeah. i feel like the beginning like some dark mirror version of like an old funk song you know it's like there's an intro and it's like <laughs> all you people out there all you people like instead of just being like you're beautiful you need to dance i'm like you need to fuck off right now. <laughs> it's like the gg allen version of funk yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah oh man do you ever feel like you're just like that's when you really feel like you're just growing up and it's over. When you're just like... <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about like albums like that that you used to listen to and it's like, yeah, I can't do that anymore. There's a there's Anal Cunt and Anal Blast and I always get those mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag metal problems. <laughs> they should do a super group. <laughs> well, that dude's dead. Oh. Oh, he's the one that, like, fell down the stairs or some shit, right? <laughs> he <laughs> fell off an escalator fucking around at a mall. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the funniest way to die, dude. <laughs> oh, my side hurts. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, like, I my mean, favorite he, death of all time, probably. He lived a stupid life. Died a with stupid With a stupid man. Dude, he that's... He died a stupid death. I knew he was... I knew he was dead, but I didn't know how, and then my friend told me, and that was exactly what I said, was live by the sword, die by the sword, dude. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about hide-em-ups, uh, which is yeah. a, a genre name that I maybe invented, but I'm scared I, to say that. I think you did, because I, I googled it, and I couldn't. I found nothing. Okay. So. Congratulations, because it's a, it's a great little term. Yeah, thanks. See, I was too lazy to Google it, so thank you for doing that. Um, nice. I was just going to live in fear of someone like hitting me with a copyright strike for hide-em-ups. Um, <laughs> but so I started thinking about this as a genre in the last few years, um, and I'll talk about why when I run through the history of hide-em-ups. Um, mm-hmm. But to define it quickly... Um, my definition of a hide up conventional horror games that have the combat element removed and replaced with a stealth element. Right. Um, so I left it a little bit intentionally vague because I mean, sometimes they break the rules. Like sometimes there is combat, but it's either ineffective or just ineffective against the main enemy of the game or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think the big thing for me is that, there's still conventional horror games and in whatever is a conventional style of the time. So, you know, these games have been around, in my opinion, since 1995, and they've gone through being adventure games, survival horror games, 3D action games, into being uh, first-person exploration-based horror games. Um, and in every era, 
that you could think of from, you know, those times, that is the dominant paradigm of like what a horror game is. I think it stands in contrast to something like uh, the games we talked about last episode, which were very specifically like uh, exploration based games that had no combat and were clearly like adventure games, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think that's the big distinction to me, because if you put combat in any of the games we're going to talk about, they would pretty much just be like a standard horror game like Resident Evil 7, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why I like this term "hide 'em up" so much because it's it's a very specific subgenre, uh, right? And a, a lot of games conform to that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and let's talk about why. Uh, <laughs> so the genre actually has a, a long history, but not a very wide history. Like there aren't a ton of titles in this genre. I mean, maybe you could say there are now, but overall, compared to survival horror in general, or any mm-hmm. other genre it's it's pretty small well there, there definitely was a boom recently with people streaming right which we'll get to yeah we'll get to that but so in my opinion once again uh it starts with clock tower in mm-hmm. 1995 um which is of course a famicom game super famicom uh, or right. yeah a, a super famicom game technically not officially released in america ever um I mean, I think right. you, you and I have both played it. We've played it via fan translation and emulator. Um, it yep. was, you know, developed by Human Entertainment, which is kind of like a weird little uh, company that had, you know, small dev teams. It was a little more mm-hmm. like auteury, almost like a proto grasshopper manufacturer. Right. Um, yeah. The director of the original Clock Tower, uh, Hifumi Kono, is I think the guy who kept the series going basically even up until just a few years ago um, with like spiritual successors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's sort of like the dude who started the series, but the, the premise of clock tower is it's basically a, you know, side scrolling adventure game with a point and click interface. The twist is that you can die (laughs) Um, (laughs) in really grotesque ways. Right. So the main thing you do in the game, well, you're trying to explore this like mansion type building and you're trying to, you know, escape, but you're also being chased by Scissor Man, the main antagonist, (laughs) who's like a little kind of jigsaw looking dude with a big pair of scissors who uh, chases you around. He pops out at random times. And if you don't hide or escape him, you die. Even though it's a Super Nintendo game, Scissor Man is fucking horrifying. Yeah, totally. He will scare the shit out of you. Yeah. And he and he will kill you a lot. Oh yeah. Like it's so it's a tough game. Uh it's very difficult. Uh a big part of that is the controls are really bad. Um it's yeah. a point and click interface that you control mm-hmm. with a Super Nintendo controller. <laughs> yeah. Uh but it's also so you're like clicking on the shower curtain trying to hide real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, it's really brutal, but uh, I mean, at the time, there was nothing else like it, and there kind of still isn't. Um, No, not really. I mean, it's like a super brutal Maniac Mansion in some ways. Exactly, and the fact that it actually has these timed challenges that are very stressful, and they're a bit, Mm -hmm. you know, reaction-based, but it's in an interface that generally doesn't have any timed action, is pretty boundary-pushing and pretty cool. But it also, it once again, like it took this adventure game paradigm and 
it just totally flipped what you're supposed to do with it. Um, which I think kind of set the tone for the, you know, all the games that are going to come after it. Just to kind of rush through the series a little bit, because I think at some point we'll probably talk about the series. I like these games, or at least I'm interested in them. Um, yeah. But just for this purposes, it's kind of just a historical footnote. They made three more Clock Tower games. There's uh, an actual sequel on the PlayStation, as well as a spin- another spinoff on the original PlayStation. Both games sort of felt like kind of reboots of the original game's concept. They control the same. Um, they feel the same, mostly. Yeah. Well, the second was called Clock Tower in America. Yeah. Um, and um, I remember having the PS1 demo disc, which, I mean, I played to death. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the few sort of like series, Japanese series that came to America with the second installment. So people didn't even know there was this earlier Super Famicom version that I think is probably a better game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm. Yeah, the, definitely. Yeah. I played the the first PlayStation entry, which was a sequel. Um as my first clock tower game. Cause that was the first one that came to America and it was just released as clock tower here. Um, side note, I'm super glad that game, uh, game developers can't get away with that anymore of oh, hiding yeah. releases from us because we oh, have yeah. the internet. <laughs> we yeah. missed out on some good shit in the 16 bit generation. Oh yeah, totally. I mean like just off the top of my head, it's like star ocean had the exact same thing. Secret amount of three. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> mother two yeah. <laughs> or mother three yeah <laughs> yeah fuck um but yeah so uh after that um the series kind of tried to stage a big comeback in the ps2 era um mm-hmm. with clock tower three clock tower three is an interesting game because it basically tries to modernize the series in a lot of ways but it's also just really really weird and almost doesn't feel like a clock tower game anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically it uh, lets you have normal third person character controls. There's no more point and click. The game is full 3D uh, and it looks good. Um, so a lot of the gameplay is running around the environment and finding places to hide and evade the enemies that are chasing you. It also has weird boss battles, so it's not totally combat free. There's basically these boss sequences where you go through like a magical girl transformation and then suddenly you're like this avenging angel with a magical crossbow and you kind of look like Pit from Kid Icarus. Uh, wow. It's really fucking weird, dude. Um, Thank you, Japan. <laughs> Thank you so much. What's interesting about this game, though, is that it really feels like that's where the these modern version of these games come from because a lot mm. of the game is just running around it's hiding in closets and hiding behind shower curtains and doing all that kind of stuff and when i started seeing more recent versions of this type of gameplay i was like wow this really owes a lot to clock tower 3 and it's once again i think it goes back to my definition of what a hide em up is which is that you kind of just take the dominant paradigm of what's going on with horror games and you just take out the combat and put in a stealth element yeah There's another game not long after uh, released in 2005 called Haunting Ground. Haunting Ground kind of famously started as Clock Tower 4. And then at some point they decided to change the name, rebrand it and try and release it kind of in the wake of Resident Evil 4. And they were trying to kind of slam dunk that and it didn't work because Haunting Ground is too fucking weird. Um, (laughs) 
But Haunting Ground does take that, once again, like everything I just said about Clock Tower 3, Haunting Ground just takes it and sort of uh, smooths it out. So mm-hmm. it, it is a really like polished, like well-made game. Um, it has a lot of interesting elements. It has this kind of like gothic, arch-gothic aesthetic that's sort of cool. Um, it's really right. over the top. Anyway, at the time, these games definitely felt like just a weird footnote. Like... I mean, Haunted Ground was a giant flop. Yeah. And it's notoriously expensive now. Um, I think you, you, you're lucky finding a copy for $150. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I used to have a copy of that. Rip. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, yeah. It, it, nobody played this game. It's now sort <laughs> of kind of having a resurgence with people talking about it and writing about it years later. Yeah. But, yeah, nobody played this YouTubers. Fucking, yeah, YouTubers. Um, but it's, it's, once again, it's, it's interesting to see sort of how the, how far ahead of their time these games were just in terms of delivering people a different gameplay experience with horror that wasn't just combat based. Right. Um, so after that, you know, that's kind of notoriously the, uh, doldrums of survival horror and horror games in general, because (laughs) Resident Evil four made everyone think that we just wanted action games with spooky aliens and, we got fucking three Dead Space games. Um, <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, pass. Uh, yeah, dude. In Dead Space One, the part where the meteors are falling, so scary, bro. Um, <laughs> Michael Bay horror. I fucking. This hate, is the best horror. I fucking hate that game, dude. Oh my god. That was that was the time in my life where I kind of like checked out of video games because it was all like Xboxes and Mountain Dew and shit. <laughs> oh yeah, brother, Mountain Dew Doritos, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Um, so however, the flip side to all of that in 2006 (laughs) is that uh, a company called frictional games put out a tech demo called penumbra. Mm. Um, penumbra is really where this genre starts to get solidified into, you know, something current. Uh, it is once again, it's a first person exploration based, uh, horror game for the PC. There's no combat. You have to hide. If you get caught, you die. Um, the game was put out as a tech demo, not just to showcase the game, but also to showcase the graphics and physics engine, which were like super ahead of their time and now are completely fucking terrible, uh, as you can only imagine. But uh, it really was impressive. I got it at the time. I remember my friends were passing it around like, dude, look at this fucking shit. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> um, it was super impressive and it was super scary to play it. Super tense. Um, mm. And in 2007, a year later, they released uh, the full game of Penumbra. Um, Penumbra was a big deal uh, just for being so far ahead of its time and feeling like something fresh and new, but it wasn't like a huge success. Uh, the development was a little rocky and the release was a little weird. It was originally supposed to have like multiple parts to it and it kind of just had a main game and an epilogue. Uh, the final product didn't wasn't as technically impressive as the demo, you know, go figure. However, uh, it was successful enough that they, you know, kept making games and the studio sort of took off and they followed up with Amnesia in 2010. Uh, Mm -hmm. which is a big deal because now we're really in the current age. Uh, Amnesia was a huge hit, and a big part of that is that it went viral from people taking videos of themselves screaming while playing it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, when I'm, I think a, a reason I wanted to talk about these games as its own episode and group these games together is that the more I looked into it and the more I thought about it, the more it's like, this is really like where we get to horror games that feel distinctly modern. You know, like the business model is based on streaming. The business model is based on virality. The way you play the game doesn't require you to have this huge history with video games, you know, or even know what the fuck you're doing. Well, I think part of that, too, is that um, this is kind of the era where 3D gaming becomes homogenized and 3D controls become homogenized. Right. Um, So classic survival horror or horror jank um, or even just like 3D gaming jank is gone by this point you know everyone's using the dual stick i think i feel like the homogenization makes it easier for people to get into it right exactly and just to talk a little bit about how most of these games are designed uh, a big thing in hide em ups i think is making them more accessible by just streamlining everything so right in addition to having the combat removed you also have a lot of the traditional gamey stuff removed like there's not a ton of item management there's not a ton of like puzzle solving that requires backtracking and stuff like that. Like you might mm-hmm. need to find an item and have it in your inventory, but you're not going to have to examine the item or figure out how to use it. You know, it's more of a story item. Exactly. It's right. very un resident evil, I guess is what I'm trying right. to say. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a big part of its success is that like, not only could streamers play it and it could go viral and people could get in on the hype, uh, but also anyone could pick up and play it. Um, I think it was inexpensive too when it came out. I think it was kind of a budget release, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like 20 bucks, 20, 30 yeah. bucks. Um, so that helped. Uh, yeah, and a couple other things uh, that helped. It came out on every platform, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so Frictional was traditionally a little more PC-based, and with this release, it came out on Xbox 360 and PlayStation. So anyone could pick up and play it. The other thing is that Amnesia is a good game. Uh, we're not really going <laughs> to talk about it. Um, Maybe in a future episode. Yeah, exactly. Volume two of Item Ups. Yeah, exactly. And I personally, I mean, I don't have, I'm not like hugely enthusiastic about this game. I like it. It's a good game. Um, mm-hmm. But historically it, significant. Yeah. I think it's important that it was good though, because shortly after this there'd be a boom of like indie horror games that streamers would Mm -hmm. actually probably get more traction off of playing right but but if anyone actually any viewers were like wanting to go and try the game they would really quickly figure out that's like oh like slender isn't fun you know what i mean it kind of reminds me of um when they when they market horror movies and then the trailers are reactions of the crowd being terrified Yep. I mean, what better marketing for a scary movie is to see people terrified of what you're putting out, you know? Exactly. And it's something that hadn't really been attempted with video games on this scale. Um, yet with Amnesia, it was basically the entirety of the marketing plan. Um, like, not just on YouTube either. I mean, at the time, if you were reading gaming websites or gaming blogs or whatever, all you were seeing was that, you know, Frictional Games releases the scariest game ever. Uh, Yeah. And that was basically it. Uh, I wonder if that was intentional marketing or just serendipitous, right time and right place. Yeah, I imagine that it was a lot of serendipity, but I don't know because, well, just a little bit about the game. I mean, a lot of it is supposed to be just this hyper immersive 
horror game. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just first person. It also has all these crazy psychedelic sanity effects, almost like eternal darkness or something. Yeah. Um, So the more time you spend in the dark, the more enemies you encounter, your sanity degrades and everything just gets crazy. And it is a really unsettling experience. Uh, I will say that I do think it's legitimately like not even creepy. It just is unsettling because you're just like, ah, why is this screen warping? Like, ah, why am I hearing whispers? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, why so, do people do this to themselves? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think there was definitely, it's in the design of the game. It's built into it, but it also was definitely some serendipity with it just going viral. After Amnesia, they're basically starts to be as i mentioned earlier there's like a boom of indie horror titles that are more or less kind of like diet hide ups uh <laughs> a lot of them are really poorly made they're kind of shitty uh they're janky um they're mostly based on memes i mean that's how we got scp containment breach uh slender which i mentioned before <laughs> um God, there's like this endless hallway one. I mean, there's just there's just yeah. dozens of these fucking yeah. games. And I honestly think that most of these were just made for streamers to right. pick up and then hope that some of the viewers would buy the game as well. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, that shit mostly sucks, but it's cool to see that Amnesia kind of started a whole cottage industry for this type of game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I f- almost feel like more people want to watch people streaming these kind of games than actually playing them. Yeah, for sure. So I, I I'm like, cause you know, I got, I got a f- several of these games for free on steam. Mm-hmm. Um, I got amnesia for free. I got outlast for free. Um, I, 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 I think that whole streaming subculture is like a big part of the this genre right for better or worse yeah totally i mean i don't think it would exist as a commercial force uh without it i mean even re2 streams are really popular right now yeah totally um and i think it's interesting to look at it in that context because i view these games as coming from the ashes of survival horror uh just because Resident Evil 4 sort of, you know, as people like to say, I don't know how true it is, but it killed survival horror for a while. Right. It made it seem like there wasn't any commercial potential because the biggest horror franchise went to action and mm-hmm. these games kind of spun it around into like, oh, well, actually, you can still have commercial potential for horror. It just has to be done in a certain way and marketed in a certain way. You know? And I think, you know, after the success of games like this and especially Outlast, Resident Evil wised up with Resident Evil 7. Yeah, and, that's you know, the best part of all is that the snake ate its fucking tail. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, after Amnesia and the sort of glut of indie games, the next big release is Outlast, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the games that we're going to dive in deeper after I get done with this pedantic garbage. Um <laughs> Outlast releases in 2013 and not to belabor the point, basically does the same thing Amnesia did, but way bigger. Um, Yeah. More sales, more success, more press. I mean, everything people said about Amnesia, they were saying about Outlast, but even more. Like, if the article headlines for Amnesia were big hit horror game is so fucking scary the how the like headlines for outlast were like super gigantic hit horror game will make you shit yourself and die you know (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, it definitely had the 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 hype vibe. There was like a yeah. um, little bit of ur- urban legend, kind of like almost like saw vibe around it or something or yeah. human centipede vibe. Yeah. Like outlast is fucked up <laughs> like, it, and it is, you know? it, and it yeah. is, you know, just like amnesia, I think another strength of outlast, which we'll talk about it more, but it is scary. It is fucked up and it is a good game. It's well-made like, absolutely. So if you are following a streamer you like, and you saw them play the game, if you went and bought it for five, 10 bucks or whatever, you wouldn't be disappointed at all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You might be too scared to finish it because I guess that's a thing for people. But like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you wouldn't be disappointed, which once again, definitely sets it out from even historically, like any of the clock tower games, you maybe watch someone play it and then went and played it. And we're like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> or any of the <laughs> indie games, you may have gone and seen someone play it and then went and played it. And you're like, these kind of suck. But these are actually, you know, well-made games. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so that's 2013 in 2014, we got two titles that are as big possibly. Um, on the one hand, we got alien isolation, which is the other game we're going to deep dive into, uh, which kind of had a similar, it made a huge splash. Yeah. Uh, I think, well, not just because it's scary and it went viral, Mm -hmm. but also because it was like the first good alien game after, years and years of everyone waiting for a half decent alien game. We finally get one. Right. And the thing that I was going to say that differentiates it was it was definitely aimed a little bit more at a traditional like PC gaming type crowd. Um, Not Mm. only does it actually include combat and it has this aesthetic that, you know, people love the sort of retro future sci-fi. It also specifically was calling back to alien versus predator from 1999. Um, (laughs) Which is like in in my kind of canon of gaming, that's like the last good alien game until we get Alien Isolation. You know? Yeah, I mean we we had the Capcom beat 'em up, or was yeah. that Konami? I think it was Capcom. Um, yeah, which is AVP, cool. Which is cool. It's not very Alien. No, um, it's very anime. Anime versus Predator. Um, yeah, I actually thought, um, uh, what is the the treasure like Alien shooter game? Uh, alien Soldier. I thought Alien Soldier is actually a better Aliens game <laughs> than the Capcom beat 'em up person. Uh, Don't get me started on Treasure Games. The best Beer games all of all day. time. Yeah, exactly. You're so weird. Oh, man. <laughs> the best. Anyways, a- AVP. I played that on uh, Atari Jaguar. Yeah. At, oh my god. At the that mall rules. when uh, in 1995. That rules. <laughs> well, the, the thing about Alien vs Predator '99 uh, is that it was marketed as like, well, it's a first person shooter and you can be the alien or a Marine or predator. And yeah, that was cool. And when people actually sat down to play the game, the hype around it wasn't just, this is a good game. It was that dude play the Marine. It's scary as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And I sort of love that, you know, they kind of made a whole game around that feeling. And at least for me looking, I don't know if it was specifically marketed in that way, not that it matters, but to me it was like definitely seemed to be calling back to AVP 99. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was awesome. Well, they really, uh, I I remember in AVP 99, uh, darkness was a huge gameplay part right um just like wandering around in the dark and like maybe shooting rounds to see where you're going yeah totally and another thing that alien isolation kind of takes from it is interface was a big part so like Mm. if you played as the predator you saw the predator layout and like yeah if you played as you know 
I think if you're playing as an alien, you're like a, little, a slightly different like FOV than the Marine. And it, right, the the Marine got the classic scanner kind yeah. of radar deal from yep. aliens. Yep. So uh, we'll get into all that. Um, right. The other big thing that happens in 2014 is PT. Uh, the rip. Yeah, RIP, the playable teaser for the canceled Silent Hill reboot comes out. And basically that's kind of the the rest of the story because between mm-hmm. Outlast, Alien Isolation, and PT, you've got a whole huge field of games that were influenced by them. Um, and indie games, mainstream games, whatever. You know, we obviously got a sequel to Outlast. We got RE7 that was hugely influenced by all of these games, but especially mm-hmm. Outlast. Mm-hmm. Um, we got weird homages like the beginning of, you know, the evil within is pretty much just an outlast homage. Uh, <laughs> we got a ton of indie games, but, uh, we also have like a ton of indie games that are either still relatively new or kind of on the horizon. Um, a lot of them I actually haven't checked out because they're either like in alpha beta stage and I'm kind of waiting or they're just not out yet. Um, just to name a few, there's like Visage, Asylum, and Devotion are the ones that I've been following. Yeah. Um, Devotion, unfortunately, now is maybe just like tanked due to weird political stuff. No, uh, I think I think they patched it already. Well, but I it's actually not on Steam anymore. Oh, they pulled it from Steam completely. I checked yeah, today, I th- and it's not there. I think the point. I think they're gonna put it back. One one of their artists made fun of. Xi Jinping yeah. and called him Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, a little Pooh. He does look like Pooh, though. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it, that's cute. And I, if I was him, I would just own that shit. I would sell merch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so n- we're sort of now living in the kind of post-hide-em-up world. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of stuff to look forward to. There's a bunch of stuff kind of coming out and or getting canceled every day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, whatever gives us more spooky games, I'm yeah. all for. Right, and and I personally, we'll talk about this more when we talk about these games. I really like this genre overall. Like, I'm straight up a fan, and I think in terms of getting back into gaming, which is a topic we've talked about mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. when I was getting back into gaming, I was sort of, I was gravitating towards these games because I don't really like first person shooters. Um, mm. So if it's, but I like the control scheme and I like the, you know, the point of the perspective. So it's like, well, if I can do that, but then I don't have to be like good at fucking, you know, AK 47, <laughs> like that's great. Like right. sign me up. I'm on creative assemblies website. Cause I'm like, I've never played any of these fucking games. And the only thing that I had played from them was a Sega CD game called Microcosm, which is one of those like full motion video games that makes you think you're playing a 3D game, but you're just like flying in front of like a a bad uh, like GIF, animated GIF. Huh. Yeah, check it out. Uh, you're like flying through somebody's body and like shooting shit. It's like a bootleg space harrier with animated backgrounds. Oh, yeah, kind of looks like Descent, but it's like in the style of Space Harrier. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just on rails, and you're like flying through like bad '90s CGI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that looks cool. You remember in the '90s those uh, like Beyond the Mind's Eye VHS tapes that you would rent, and it would have like all these like CGI demos on them. 
No. To like house music. No, yeah. that sounds cool. Microcosm's like that, but for your Sega CD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds dope. <laughs> yeah. we, I mean, but uh, Alien Isolation is just like an outlier in this like giant catalog of like real-time strategy games. and I mean, Yeah. They did like PC sports games in the 90s. Yeah, totally. It's really weird. Um, yeah. So, Alien Isolation. 2014. <laughs> developed by Creative Assembly. Uh, out of nowhere and their catalog of weird games ends up being a big deal yeah it's a big deal big deal yeah (laughs) like i was saying i don't know if it's just because it's the only good alien game um or if it just got viral because it's spooky i don't know yeah you know well so the premise is basically you are playing as uh ripley's daughter uh who canonically exists in, yeah. Okay. In the sure. universe of the movie, so they didn't make a new character, which I like. Um, so every time you die, it's like completely non-canonical because we know that she lives to old age because of Alien Two. Yes. Yep. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise of this game is basically that you are looking for your mom. You find out that there's a place where there may be uh, her final transmission, her final known transmission. The black box. Yeah. And you go the there. The Nostromo black box. Yeah, the Nostromo black box. Um, so you go to this space station to try and recover it. Shit goes left and you get trapped in there with, among other, other things, a xenomorph that you can't fight or kill. Right. Big surprise. Waylon Yutani is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so the hook of the game is that you spend the game not just exploring the space station, but also having to hide and sneak around this Mm -hmm. xenomorph, because if it catches you, you die. Right, because shit's hit the fan before you got there, Right, and even the humans have turned against each other, and there's like gangs of assholes lurking around. Right. And also, you find out that the, uh, the, of course, the AI on the system has gone bad, and so you have mean androids going around too. Yeah, exactly. So in, in terms of the, the hide-em-up genre uh, mm-hmm. that I'm now strictly defining, uh, there's a few twists to the formula with this game. You know, the big, a big one that you just mentioned is that there are enemies and you have to fight them. Well, you don't have to, but you should probably fight some of them. Yeah, you're going to need to, especially in a couple, couple parts of the game where you, it's sort of unavoidable. Right, so I still consider this a game in this genre because the main gameplay mechanic is hiding from the alien, and you can't fight the alien. But yeah, and and I mean, you can fight. You're not good at fighting, and in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, I should say, it feels like the human enemies and the android enemies, and then the small alien, like the face hugger type enemies that you mm-hmm. can fight, are all there just to sort of distract you and make your interactions with the main xenomorph more tense and exciting Um, because like you get into a lot of scenarios where it's like well i can't fire a gun or set off a bomb because then the xenomorph will come find me right but i do want to dispose of these enemies so you either need to get them into a room like follow them into a room where you can take care of them or you have to stealth around them and stealth around the xenomorph you know well one thing i've done well I, I just finished this game. So one thing that I ended up doing is actually coaxing the xenomorph out and making it kill the other humans. Uh, and that worked several times. Right. Um, 
So this is a good segue into actually what I think is really cool about this game is that it is this style of game. It's clearly a hide em up, but unlike any other one that I've played where it's relatively scripted, like mm-hmm. you're just you're sneaking around, you figure out the enemy patterns, blah blah blah, normal stealth game shit. This one is just totally free form. Like the, the AI alien specifically. Yeah, yeah. The AI alien is really complex, especially at the higher difficulty settings. And mm-hmm. like it makes every encounter both terrifying and stressful and like a delight because you right. get to choose how you want to do it. And every encounter is different completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, th- th- I, I would say the alien is probably as an antagonist. Um, one of just generally the creepiest, you never feel safe around it. Right. And, um, just invulnerable. He, like if he sees you, you're dead. Right. And that's basically it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like how those stakes really force you to explore the game mechanics. Um, so like you have weapons and you have items and there's a crafting system that lets you make ammo and items and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to use it and you can get through the game without a lot of the stuff, but because the stakes are so high, like you're going to hit a point at least a couple encounters where you're like, well, I wonder if there's a better way to do this Mm -hmm. and maybe let me explore the game's mechanics. Like it's a really well-designed game. Everything seems to sort of point you in the direction of, you know, the different mechanics that they've worked out, which I think is super interesting. And once again, super sets it apart from a lot of the games in this genre. I played it pretty bare bones. Um, I don't think I ever used a flare. Yeah. Or a smoke screen. Uh, I did use some audio distractions just to get around the alien a couple times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, generally, I played pretty, pretty minimally. Yeah, I did too. I used the EMP mines a lot. Um, I never used one. Oh, really? I forgot they existed. What do they do? <laughs> uh, they um, they set out a, an EMP pulse that disables the androids. Basically. Oh, like yeah. permanent death? No, it it sort of makes it disables them briefly, so you can either oh. sneak around them or you can go up and kill them. Um, okay, I got really into killing androids. Yeah, yeah, me too. And yeah. I wish I would have known that was a thing because I totally would have used that. <laughs> Yeah. So there's these android enemies that you have to fight a lot, and especially as as James mentioned, the AI turns on you and they all start coming to kill you. And they're really the main enemy that you can actually fight. Uh, yeah. But the item scarcity does come into play there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you you've got like a giant wrench is which is like your general melee weapon. Mm-hmm. But unless the android is like reeling from a hit or being shocked by something, uh, generally he will catch your wrench as you try to hit him with it and just knock you on the floor. Yeah. Um, a lot. Of, and it's really hard to shake the androids once they see you, yep. even though they're slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you are kind of forced into combat with the androids in several situations. And later in the game, once you have a bunch of guns and you feel empowered, it's just like Resident Evil 2, it's sort of redemption time. <laughs> and you just want to start just like blowing away these androids that have been like pissing you off the whole time. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and once again, I, I like that they included that in this game, but instead of it detracting from the stealth, it actually plays into it. They're unique to the universe too, I mm-hmm. think. 
uh, but they're great additions. We didn't talk about the art style at all, but it definitely has this like eighties retro futuristic vibe, which sits in like perfectly with the Alien One universe, right? And uh, just the rubbery skin of the androids and the creepy LED eyes, it, yeah. it just fits perfectly. Yeah. No, the yeah, the game looks great. The design of everything, even just like the little the save ports and the computer ports that you use all look the amazing. Keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is just like keyboard porn for you. Yeah, it's like total keyboard every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um I like the character models in this game. I think they look really good. Uh, they're all sweaty. They're all sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just funny going back to some of these games. Like you, you just look at the the environments are beautiful and the character models look like shit. That's a big thing in Outlast for me. Uh, Definitely. And in this game, it's not, which was cool. I like yeah. that. Um, it looks great, yeah. just in general. I think. Yeah, it, it, I think it's aged pretty well. Um, I would say. Uh, I mean, like the skin's too shiny for some reason. I mean, I played on PC. I don't know about you. Yeah, I did. But too. the cu- the cutscenes on PC they run at like three frames a second. <laughs> And it's a known really? issue that Sega is like never fixed, and it's so stupid. Yeah, they're just really choppy compared to the rest of the game. Oh, it's it's yeah. like super jarring if you go from like 4K 60 frames to like a super compressed, you know, MPEG <laughs> at 15 frames a second. Yeah, especially when they try to make them seamless. Yeah, I will say one thing that I think this game has that is very much within this genre is that it doesn't really have much of a story uh it's more just like a connective tissue to get you from encounter to encounter or get you from set piece to set piece yeah i mean they throw characters at you of course all the all the side characters they're gonna die right but uh, they're never long enough for you to like care about them at all right um well that's what i mean it's like you are just like, go here, do this, go here, do this, go here, do but this. You know? I do feel like that's a fault because all of the characters, uh, well, a lot of the characters that you meet, they're proxies for real characters in the alien films. Right. Like your character Ripley. Okay. It's, it's Ripley. And then <laughs> you have an Android protagonist friend and he's like clearly Bishop and he like sacrifices himself just like Bishop. Yeah. And I don't, all these characters fl- fall flat on their face and towards the end of the game i was just like i don't give a fuck about like the guy i'm talking to on the radio well i'm gonna say two things in its defense for that uh (laughs) i'm gonna say number one i'm glad that they kept the story light um because i think the real story is the procedural encounters that you have like the real moments that you're gonna walk away thinking like that ruled or like that was a Mm -hmm. moment or that was a reason why i enjoyed this game are like hiding under the desk for the 50th time from the alien. And that's the time that it looks under the desk and it hasn't the whole game. Yeah. And then it looks under the desk and you just shit your fucking pants. Like that's yeah. a story. You know what I mean? This is one of those horror games where like the gameplay is the strong suit, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's a great history of jank in horror games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. And I think that the, the alien AI being so strong and unpredictable, sort of like what we talked about, um, in the first episode, the zombies and the Resident Evil two remake, the fact yeah. that they are unpredictable, the fact that they, uh, can keep getting the jump on you because you don't know what they're going to do. It keeps it fresh and interesting. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how the xenomorph is in this game. Um, yeah. And that's to me like the real story. The other thing I'm going to say is that it's sort of being like this diet alien 
uh, with the characters being knockoffs and not, and you, you have in our notes that, uh, Ripley is a bootleg Ripley or bootly, which is really, really fucking funny. Um, that that's a you joke. Uh, but man, that's funny. Uh, like, I like it because I think that as a way to pay homage to something or a way to bring that flavor into the world, I like it better than just here you are. Well, there there is a DLC where you play as the real Ripley on the Nostromo. Oh, I haven't played that. Yeah, I played it for about two minutes and hated it. Okay. Well, see, that's why what is I'm... DLC always so disappointing. Yeah, it's garbage. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. On the next episode. Yeah. On the next episode, we finally get gamers to like us by hating on DLC. <laughs> um, well, no, I think that that's a better way to get the flavor of the thing you're trying to pay homage to than just porting it in. I think that's mm. proof. I mean, to bring up Eternal Darkness again, because I'm always down to talk about Eternal Darkness. Um, <laughs> I love that that game, they just made their own fake Cthulhu mythos mm-hmm. instead of actually referencing the Cthulhu mythos like there's no real HP Lovecraft reference in that game they just made their own diet bootleg version <laughs> they made their own bootly <laughs> except with the fucking Cthulhu mythos and like I think that's in in something like video games and in this context it's so much more effective to you know the and the proof positive for that in this context is number one like you said there's a DLC where you're, where you're Ripley and it sucks number two <laughs> At the same time they were making this game, they were making the super disaster that was Aliens Colonial Marines. Uh, I forgot about that. Yep. The like black hole of anything that's enjoyable in video games. And that one specifically had like uh, recreations of the environments from, you know, Alien and it sucked. And people didn't like it because it's like, oh, you're doing that. But then everything else sucks and it doesn't fit. And, you know, also there is a moment where you get to go and see the pilot, you know, the big statuesque like yeah. alien corpse. Yeah. And because that's the only moment in the game where you're really in the original movie, it's like it's fucking awesome. Well, there are definite throwbacks at several parts. Like right. when you walk into the AI core, that's definite throwback to the original set design. Right. I mean, when you wake up in your pod, um, the set pieces are definite references to the films. I think the score um, references the first two films a lot. Yeah. Which is definitely a plus. Yeah. And I, and I think that, like I said, I think all that stuff is really cool because they went with the homage rather than recreation. Yeah. I feel like even the color grading, they may have like looked at the original two films and did color grading. Oh yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think ultimately like, in the medium of games people have waited a long time for like you know when can we just do the thing you know like when can we just have the game that lets you play through the movie but it's like now enough time has passed like we don't actually want that it's actually better if there's a unique thing that just is an homage you know i mean it's like people thought they wanted the scene in ready player one where he plays through top gun or whatever and then they actually read that in a book and they were like, man, that's fucking stupid as shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's Alien Isolation has its flaws, but it should be celebrated as a successful licensed game. Yeah, well, so I've just been like just talking about how much I love this game. And it's because Alien Isolation really just has one gigantic crippling flaw 
<laughs> which is that it is an entire half of a game too fucking long. Absolutely. Uh, there were several points in the game where I'm like, oh, it's finally over. <laughs> it just doesn't end. It's, no, it's it's 18 hours long and it should have been 9 or 10. And the ending is such a letdown that it, sh- it they, they literally could have cut the game in half and no one would have cared. The ending is extremely abrupt. Um, and I would actually say, if I was recommending this to a friend who had the same gaming habits that I do, and I even kind of said this to you, I think. Or, or yeah, I was you were like, like, don't worry about finishing it. I would say play the first eight or nine hours and then go watch the last cutscene. I mean, the whole last area, which is brief, <laughs> um, doesn't... And we'll talk about the end in a second, but... Uh, like the whole last area isn't really interactive, even though you're moving around. And then the last cutscene is like 30 seconds long, and you should just watch it. And yeah. You don't need to play the whole game. And the longer the game goes on, the more the systems break down, and the less fun it becomes. Yeah. Well, the first time you ditch the the xenomorph, um, is the first time I thought the game would end, and that would have been a great time to end. But you do miss out on a bunch of Android fun. Yeah. Um, so maybe if they could have, I don't know, I would have moved things around and kept it shorter and sweeter. Um, but yeah, I was definitely like happy. It was finally over. It, oh, it overstayed its welcome quite a bit. The other thing is that the game is so effective at creating tension um, that the longer you play the game, I remember at one point actually thinking like, am I physically harming myself by playing this game for 18 hours? Because it's, <laughs> it's like, not super enjoyable. It's so tense. Like, yeah. And it's not even like, I mean, it is scary at times, but it's not a pure horror experience. It's like a mm-hmm. pure tension experience, which is well, different. You, you start to feel better around the middle of the game. You've got a bunch of guns mm-hmm. and then they take all your guns away and you're yeah. kind of back at square one for quite a while. Yeah. And then you never really get back to the point where you're just like filled with ammo and you can freely spray aliens in the face with fire to make them go <laughs> bye bye. No. Exactly. And I think too, like the thing that I always think about and so, okay, we should just talk about more of the end game stuff. So Mm. I'll just drop a spoiler tag in here. I'll also say too, that you can't really talk about either of the games we're talking about today without talking about the endings. So if you haven't Mm. played them and are touchy about spoilers, I don't know, go play them first, I guess. Um, (laughs) I mean, they're cheap. Yeah. They're both really cheap and they're worth playing. Um, The ending of the game, like the whole last couple areas are like such bullshit. Because everything that's fun and exciting and creative about the game where you get to choose how you attack a scenario is totally gone. Mm-hmm. And you just have to memorize the path and then you have to run the path effectively or you die. Right. And then you just die over and over and over and it sucks. Yeah. And you just hope that the alien doesn't randomly spawn at that one spot this time. Right. It's going to be random every time you do it. And the worst part is that the last, the actual sort of like final area that you have to play is like you're kind of on a spacewalk outside the station and you're like uh-huh. running along the station. Uh, I don't think you can fail that actually. No, you can't. And it's just so fucking offensive that it's like you've been punishing me for hours at this point. I've just had like four hours of just solid fucking torture. And then you get to the end and it's like, mm, guess what? Now we're going to let you not lose. And it's like it's like it's like one of those like mediocre post rock songs that just keeps like crescendoing like way <laughs> past your point of interest and then yeah. it just ends on a fucking dud chord change or something. <laughs> yeah, or it just ends on like a little solo piano thing and you're like, "Well, <laughs> that's fine, I guess, but 
and then it gets picked up for a State Farm commercial. Oh, hell yeah, dude. That was so emotional <laughs> when the dog died during the piano part. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Um, yeah, it kind of just, it's all just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And so for me, it's easier to be rosy about it because I played it a while ago. And I know you just played yeah. it, so you're still like, Yeah, I, ju- I just played it. I'm kind of salty, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, gameplay, you know, 8 or 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, the xenomorph experience is pretty, pretty unique. I would say. I mean, yeah, uh, the closest thing may be Mr. X from the RE2 remake. The xenomorph is considerably more lethal. I mean, it was so much more interesting than. I mean, like that's so. When I first picked up this game, I expected it to be like how Mr. X is in Resident Evil 2, where it's just yeah. kind of like a mechanic and yeah. it's tense and scary and it works well, but you you see through it pretty quickly. Like mm-hmm. after your first playthrough, it's not really magic anymore, you know. Well, in Alien Isolation is in a game you're going to play more than once. <laughs> no, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but like w- that's how I thought that Alien Isolation would be. But then when you play it, you realize just how deep and complex it is, and how smart the thing is that you're going up against. And it right. it's a totally different experience. It really blew me away. Like I wasn't expecting it, and it blew me away. Yeah. So I mean, you know, gameplay solid eight or nine. The story is just utter trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, you know I I get that it could be minimal homage. Mm-hmm. I think I think they could have done better. Yeah, well, and um, the maybe ang- the license. I mean, you can't have the game without the alien. But at the same time, I feel like the license comes with so much baggage. Yeah. Um. Totally. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting too because like even if you know the all the canon shit about Alien, and you're like a dork like me who's like seen the different cuts of Alien Three and whatever, it's like the you, assembly cut. Yeah. Which is actually really good. Uh, I need to watch that. It's interesting that like, you know that like, okay, well the main character is not going to die even though they keep trying to kill her. And it's like, (laughs) you've watched her die a million times, but you're just like, well, I know canonically she doesn't die. And then the end of the game has this weird, like fake out. She died ending. So stupid. It's super stupid. And then the last frame is like a searchlight lighting up her face as she's uh, like floating in space. And it's like, yeah, I know that a rescue ship comes and finds her, not because I saw it in a movie. It's not, but we know that right. she doesn't die. So it's like, it's kind of a microcosm of a lot of the problems of the game where it's like, why didn't you just work with what you had a little bit more? You know, yeah. like, why didn't you make this shorter, tighter experience that's better? Why didn't you focus less on the story? Or like, why did you try? Right. I remember when I first saw the ending, I was like, that was kind of weird and artsy for a game that's like not weird and artsy. Like, what the fuck is this? It, I, I I feel like it was just a total cop out. Yeah, that too. Like, we didn't know how to end this, so here you go. Yeah, totally. And I I, I will say, uh, if there's one big criticism of this whole genre of games, is uh, most of them have really dumb endings. It's hard to tell a story in the first person. I think Doom 2016 did it pretty well because it was so minimal. And, you know, he didn't speak, but his animations spoke, you know, a lot of words. Sure. Um, Bootleg Ripley, she's such a wooden character. And I, I feel like a lot of these characters are so wooden. I mean, even Leon Kennedy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about Soma soon. The The main character in Soma is kind of wooden, too. 
I mean, it's it's a sort of a it's a design flaw in these games. You have to try really hard to overcome. And yeah, mm-hmm. so next episode we're going to talk about Soma, which is in this genre for sure. But it's a huge twist on it. And mm. I think twist em ups. It's a twist em up. Uh, the original <laughs> twist em up, Twister. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because I think that game puts in so much backbreaking like story work to mm-hmm. get around this limitation that it really makes you look at all these games and say like, oh yeah, these games all have garbage stories, but they're just connective tissue. Yeah, well, and, and so much, there's a plot versus theme here. I don't think Alien Isolation has any like deep cutting themes. Or <laughs> no. the alien, you're not going to think about Alien Isolation fucking five minutes after you're done with it. No. <laughs> yeah. no it's not going to linger with you like watching Gummo or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean alien isolation is definitely the kids of hide em ups um <laughs> yeah uh no it's it's not you're right uh yeah and i i i totally agree and i think that's sort of you know harking back to the conversation we had last time i think these are still in that general world of horror games as haunted houses um sure uh, except these are just the big, expensive, crazy haunted houses where they can touch you. Um, and maybe the yeah. games we were talking about last time were like something like Layers of Fear is more like the weird, kind of sketchy, broken down, like haunted house. <laughs> well, I mean, Layers of Fear has no other characters in the game besides your protagonist. Yeah. I mean, and that's why they could pull something like that off. Yeah. As a small studio. Exactly. I, I assume writing complicated AI is is a bit out of the scope of something like a team like that could uh, pull off. Right. Exactly. So yeah, that's why I see these as sort of like this kind of evolution of that mindset, where it's like it's still just a crazy haunted house. Like you're just meant to see evocative things and go through and have a fun time. You're not necessarily yeah. supposed to like think a lot. But I wish that you know this game leaned into that a little bit more, and so it was shorter and a little less involved plot wise. Yeah. You know, well, it's kind of like all the Alien sequels, right? Right. I don't. I don't really think Ridley Scott's a good director. I think he was just a fluke with Blade Runner and Alien One. Yeah, that's probably true. It, it, which, it, it, it just happened to work, and then everything else he made, yeah, nothing else was good. It's so weird because Blade Runner is my favorite movie of all time. Like full yeah, stop. As it should be. But it's yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I just like that. I don't care about the rest of it. <laughs> I do like your, your note here that's just die while saving in all caps. <laughs> yeah. I I mean that happens several times, especially towards the end where it's just like random if you're gonna survive or not. Yeah. Just run up to the save box and try to save real quick. Uh, that the the saving is an interesting game game mechanic here, and and it's notable because it's unique. Yeah. Um, it takes several seconds for you to save once you find a phone, right. and you're vulnerable during during that time. And yeah. usually, the save spots put you in vulnerable vulnerable places. Oh yeah, so it, it the game puts you in danger so you can save, and then yeah. because it's a horror game, you want to save all the fucking time. So there's there's an interesting interplay with that game mechanic, and I think that's notable. For sure, and it's really nuanced, because like, you can end up with like a cursed save where like you load and an <laughs> alien drops like right in front of you. But what's interesting is that happened to me a couple times, but it never ruined my playthrough. I never had to restart the game or anything like that. It's not like an old adventure game. 
So you can end up with a cursed save, but you can survive it, which is just bonkers. Yeah, thank God, because I never would have finished the goddamn game. No, no. (laughs) I think this does. This is something I, I wanted to say, too, is that I think that it highlights one thing the game is good at, which is that it makes all of these different mechanics, like the stealth mechanics and hiding and evasion and all that feel purposeful and not like rng uh yeah i mean sometimes i feel like the aliens would drop from a vent and it was just like which vents are gonna drop through vent one two three or four and yeah after you die several times you kind of see the patterns emerge I, I agree, but it's just like I think it's veiled really well, and it's very yeah, absolutely it's varied enough that it doesn't totally feel that way. And I think that's a big point of contrast to every other game in this fucking genre. Yeah, stealth stealth games in general, um, it's very hard for them to mask their gaminess. Yeah, like you definitely get that feeling of like, okay, hide in locker. And then you can hear the gears turning for the game yeah. deciding, like, is the guy going to open the locker or <laughs> not? And I don't think I ever had a moment like that until, like I said, the very late game, it starts to feel grindy um, mm-hmm. and annoying. But yeah. for most of the game, you don't get that feeling. And that's what kept me involved. That's what kind of gave me that, like, Mega Man difficulty loop of, like, I'll just keep trying again. It's cool, man. You know? Right. Which, when games start to feel very random... And just like it's a numbers game, it's not interesting to me anymore and I lose interest. So that's one thing I can say. I will also say that my official recommendation is if you want to play this game but you're on the fence, just play the first eight hours and then watch the end cutscene and pretend like you played the whole game. Yeah, I mean, play it and don't don't feel guilty if you don't want to finish it. I mean, I'd say that about any game. I mean, plus it's so cheap. I mean, it's constantly on sale with all the DLC for like $5 or less. <laughs> yeah, I think I got it for like a dollar. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd i say in general, I feel that way about every game where it's like, eh, if you lose interest, you don't want to finish it. That you like you do you, but especially a game like this, yeah. you know, my, my backlog haunts me at night, though. <laughs> yeah, that sort of a lot of things. <laughs> Absolutely. to that i'll smoke out the chalice to that my guy (laughs) Uh, outlast outlast and some of outlast too look i thought i was gonna hate outlast but you know i kind of put it in there with slender man five nights at freddy's all that viral shit that was going on at the same time culturally it is yeah and totally went under my radar ignored it for years got it for free in like a hum- humble bundle mm-hmm. it chilled in my steam library for like two years and then one day Lacey decided to play it and we just blasted through it in a day or two. Oh yeah I had a and really similar experience I feel bad because I waited so long to play it but uh I mean what a great game 
dude. No, I I've, I have a similar experience where I was just like, eh, it's like trash, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. there was so much coverage of this game because it was such a big, it made such a big splash. And mm-hmm. I read some developer interviews and I was like, you know, I'm actually kind of interested in this now. And then there was a day where I was really sick and I, you know, stayed home from work and I saw that it was on like super sale and yeah I bought it for like nothing and started playing it and I played I think I beat the whole game that day because I was wow. just like fuck like I just need to finish this yeah <laughs> or at least I play love sick me. days yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah so I'm totally with you I, I waited a long time and then was really surprised at how into it I was it's got all the hide em up tropes mm-hmm. but it, it's it's got some uh, interesting game mechanics notably looking through the camcorder 90% of the game. Right. So the big hook with this game, um, it's a 2013 released by Red Barrels, who are basically a bunch of Canadian AAA developers who started their own studio. Um, Mm. And now they're kind of ensconced as sort of like a big indie. You know what I mean? I guess they're like the the video game's equivalent of like a sub pop or something. (laughs) (laughs) But like... uh, I mean, they they have they have a pedigree. I mean, they worked on the Prince of Persia reboot for PS2. Mm-hmm. A lot of the old Splinter Cell games, like these these old Ubisoft cats, like definitely know their shit. Oh yeah. So they're not just like a kid that is like, hey, this is my first game, right? And I mean, we'll talk about this a little more when we do our episode on Soma. But like with the frictional stuff, they actually are just like indie dudes. Like they came from nowhere. Um, this, which is why it's impressive that by their second game it was so polished. With Outlast. It seemed like they came from nowhere, the company did, and it was a big hit, but it's like, yeah, these guys have pedigree. Like, the fact that the game is technically an indie, but it, like, is so polished and so well made. Uh, I think it's indie in the terms of they published it themselves. Exactly. But yeah, they have the pedigree and they got some funding and, like, the game, the game is really well made. It still looks good today, which is insane for coming from 2013. It looks pretty good. I mean, the 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 atmosphere, the environments look great. Yeah. The character models, uh, maybe they didn't have enough money to hire a perfect character artist yet. But. but I think they did something smart, which is that they just didn't really put in any normal character models. Like Yeah, everything is purposefully, like, kind of grotesque and ugly. Right. Um... So, I, yeah, it's, it's a really impressive game, but it's definitely, like, the most hide-em-up, hide-em-up. Uh, oh, yeah. Like I said, I mean, like, I view Amnesia as, like, which came out a few years earlier, as kind of, like, where they cemented it as a genre. Outlast is where you get all the tropes. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so the basic gameplay loop is you find a new area, you explore it, eventually you run into some enemies, and you have to hide in a locker. <laughs> essentially yeah and in between uh you so you're you're a journalist in the game the main character is uh and he's another wooden everyman protagonist yeah uh and brown haired white guy <laughs> yeah a silent hill male and he uh he has like a camcorder that you can use basically instead of a flashlight uh so you equip it and you turn on the night vision and um you can see in the dark and And you need batteries yep there's light item management because you have to keep a fresh supply of batteries otherwise you lose your camera and you come i came close but i never actually ran out of batteries i don't know if you just like can't traverse parts of the game or what I, i was super concerned about losing all my batteries as i always am with survival horror games so i was very um conservative in using them 
So mm-hmm. I ended up with a glut of battery. <laughs> yeah, I think by there were definitely points where I had a lot, but there were also points where I was just like, fuck it. And that brings up darkness is kind of a gameplay mechanic. This game is dark as fuck. Yeah. Um, and that was one thing I was going to bring up with Alien, and I didn't, about how Alien Isolation is never very dark. That's true. Um, at the beginning of the game, they make a big deal of battery management for your flashlight. Mm-hmm. But I probably used the flashlight three times in Alien Isolation. <laughs> and without last, you just cannot play the game like that. No. Unless you're a, literally a blind speedrunner and know how to do it. Yeah. Um, because th- there's points where it's just inky blackness. You can't see anything. Right. Well, and so with all these hide em up games, there's a tension between the traditional horror game or survival horror game elements and this sort of, you know, just open exploration based game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Amnesia and Alien Isolation are similar in that, like, they want you to use a flashlight and feel stressed, but light isn't as big of a deal um, in those games. And mm. that's, to me, that's one of the standout things about Outlast is that like, like I said, I feel like if you ran out of batteries, you would just not be able to complete certain sections of the game. Right. Yeah, um, definitely. So it does make, it does create uh, good tension. Um, and I, I and like the score that. is pretty terrifying too. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I think it's better than the RE2 remake score. I think they kind of fell flat on that with the the dubstep, but yeah, the wub wubs. Yeah, the art direction isn't the greatest, but the atmosphere they build is just pretty horrific. Oh, totally. I mean, so the setup of the game is, you know, you're this reporter who goes to like a mental hospital that it looks dilapidated, but it's still in use. Uh, just nobody knows what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically you just infiltrate and see what's going on. And I, I think he gets an email from the DLC character and that's why he comes to investigate. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And so you basically don't know anything and you go in and you figure out what's going on. Um, and so, you know, like, like James said, it's this very basic, like old mental hospital, I guess, type setting. It's tropey, but it's very effective. Right. And with the great lighting, the great music, the camera color grading is good yeah. film grain uh it's very reminiscent of the the b movie revival of the mid 2000s oh totally um, saw human centipede in terms of color grading right uh, things like that art direction exactly and in this game uh i i like the camcorder a lot you know the fact that yeah. it, it changes the look of the game that it adds this whole atmospheric layer on it um it it sort of makes one thing I felt while playing it was that I felt like it made the somewhat bland art direction work because oh, absolutely it was yeah. like you weren't meant to look at most of the game without the camcorder filter on everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, horror movies from the eighties are better on VHS because yeah. you slather all that visual noise all over it. You know. Well, and so that's I want to talk about the sequel a little bit, and I'll talk about that it sort of becomes a problem in the sequel, but I always felt that it was a bit of a problem with silent Hill too, that there were these moments where it had like film grain on top of shit that just already looked fine. And I was like, Mm. Oh, like, I don't know, maybe that's a bit much, but in this game, it's almost like keeping everything a little bland works because it feels like it's designed to be looked at through the camcorder. And when it doesn't feel like that, it falls apart. Yeah, and I, and I mean, uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, but there's definitely, you know, the found footage Blair Witch Project 
uh, influence going on. Oh, and huge. You need that. So, yeah, for sure. Um, the game also uh, has. It, it does throw back. God, uh, there's a documentary in the 70s where a film crew goes into a mental hospital and films how fucked up things are. Oh, and I feel yeah. like in terms of story, it's a direct throwback of that. Also, the camcorder is a cool addition to the game because they actually made a little bit of a gameplay element around it. Like, so it's not just a substitute for the flashlight and an aesthetic filter. Um, mm-hmm. it, you can actually use it to record. And if you record at the right times, you get extra um, documents to look through and notes on what's going on in the story. Right. Um so you'll still find all the main story notes and see all the main scenes you need to see to understand what's going on in the game. Like you can't miss anything major, but you get a lot more context if you actually fully maximize using your camcorder. That's an interesting thing I thought just thought of. Both of these games we're talking about today kind of have like job based roles. Oh yeah, Rip- totally. Ripley's very very engineering like because she does hacking and she uses a torch cutter. Yeah. And then this guy, you, you can be a reporter and camcorder specific areas and do journalism work while playing. Right. Like you, you get his written report by recording things. Yeah. Like it's almost <laughs> like if you record it, it means that someone later gets to look at it and write up the report and then you get to read the report. Now it's, it's really cool. Like, and I like that idea, which Alien Isolation does really well, like you just mentioned, that like uh they're you're given tools, but they're not for combat. Right. Yeah. Like you have this tool set, but it's actually to serve something else. And so it's like, well, we can develop the story more. We can make collectibles that aren't just ammo and health and mm-hmm. she can build things and it'll make sense. Exactly. And yeah. I, I really like that about both these games. And I think that that's why in the in the first game I really like the camcorder. Um, and the second outlast, I hate it, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cause you know, outside of that, the main gameplay that you're participating in is you scope out, like I said, you scope out an area, you see where the enemies are and you try to stealth around them. Uh, mm-hmm. it is very tense. There are some gross and sort of scary enemies in this game, uh, and a lot of times, like stuff, po- there's a lot of jump scares. I think it's maybe a little heavy on the jump scares. Oh, yeah, that's it's definitely jump scare heavy. But I feel like there's also moments where stuff pops out at you or whatever, and it's almost like you feel like you earned it because you're like, all right, I fucked up. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, like it's not like a pure Five Nights at Freddy's experience of just like <laughs> you win and get jump scared. Like, yeah, contrasting with Alien Isolation, I feel like. You can outrun and outsmart the enemies and outlast. Yes, you can. Which at some points it's unavoidable. Like there's a guy chasing you and he's like trying to bash your head in with a with right. a pipe or something. And you can outrun them and outsmart them and it's kind of empowering. Right. Although I will counter that with there is some weird inconsistent AI. Oh yeah. There's jank. There's horror jank. Yeah, which I like I said, I mean Alien Isolation hides that so well that it made it a really immersive experience. But like in this game, it doesn't hide it at all. It's literally like you can walk right in front of a guy and he won't see you. And then another guy will see you through walls. Yeah. Um, And I felt in in a lot of games when I'm playing scary horror games, if like, I'm just like too stressed, what I'll do is I'll like throw myself at the bad guy several times. So it's not scary anymore. (laughs) Nice. And so I did that in outlast 
a couple times. And it really reveals how, like, jank the AI is. Yeah. Because you'll just see them do, like, totally dumb shit. They're going to assume that you're going to be, like, running from the character. They're not going to be on the screen most of the time. Right. Uh, the tension's mostly in your head. But if you're if you're actually looking at the bad guys and watching what they're doing, it's it's sort of goofy. And uh, yeah. that might be a good tip for people that are afraid of playing horror games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, like, more of a jump scare horror than like the sort of stress terror of alien isolation yeah well the score always has this great sense of dread to it so you never feel comfortable like even if it's just because of the music hey yeah i have mixed feelings on it there's parts of it that work super super well and there's Mm -hmm. parts of it where yeah it just feels like a lot of good ideas that don't totally cohere Mm -hmm. um it's definitely got budget game vibe and i think that's fine oh yeah I think it's fine too because overall like I was saying earlier I like the design of this game a lot and I think there's just so many parts of it where it's like everything comes together so you're in a creepy tense area where you're sneaking and you're looking through the camcorder and there's enemies and you just barely get away like yeah there's all these great photo finish moments um mm-hmm. which Alien Isolation has that too but in this game it's just there's some of them are a little like more just because you can tell it was planned out that way. Right. Well, the game is inherently more linear, yes. which I think works to its advantage because the storyline elements can intermingle with the gameplay elements so much better. Right. And there's moments where it works better just based on that uh, haunted house element that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, yeah, if you design sure. a haunted house and you're supposed to just walk through it, it does work better if you just walk through it. Yeah. yeah absolutely um and i love open-ended games like i love alien isolation i love prey um you know it didn't work out for our last two (laughs) they done fucked up yeah but yeah and and so it's like but yeah it's a lot harder actually to do that style and like if you just stick with the linear style it's easier to deliver something that's uh just more cohesive yeah it's more movie like too. Yeah. I think too, I like the story in Outlast because it's so subtle. Like it's literally just finding the notes and piecing together that there's this, you know, project going on and things aren't what they seem. And it's it it's like we said earlier, it's not gonna stick with you. It doesn't have any deep themes. But right. it's just unobtrusive and you get to discover it yourself enough that you feel like you had a part in it. Right. And I think that's a really smart move on their part, on the developers. Yeah, part. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's, there's an infamous part where, spoiler alert, you get your finger cut off. Uh huh. It's hard to not cringe because it's in first person, and you know, the guy's kind of a blank slate. And I think the game does that to you several times. Oh yeah. In terms of just like making you not feel comfortable or safe. Right. I mean, you also have in the notes here. There's a part where you. Once again, spoiler alert, this is a part where you break your camcorder. Yeah, oh yeah. And man, and I think at that part of the game, you're you're being stalked. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the screen's shattered. You're looking at through at the world through like all these little shattered bits. And uh the the game just keeps escalating and escalating. Right. Like a good post rock song. <laughs> and then it gets to the super heavy part. But then, unfortunately, like most survival horror games, 
The second, I, I would argue that the third, the last third of the game, um, it loses its luster because it, it, it outstays its welcome a bit once you get into the laboratories. Yeah, I mean, very Resident Evil. I mean, the last thirds in a lab. Yeah, I agree. I think that because this game is is shorter and tighter than a lot of the other experiences I've had in this genre, I mm. I thought it wasn't as bad. It gets away with it a little more. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I could put up with it at the very least. <laughs> yeah, and I think it also switches tone because it goes from like a cult of psychos to like this like. Spoiler alert, fucking like trans dimensional psychic warrior thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, I don't know that that the the penultimate antagonist in the game is just kind of stupid, I think. Yeah, it's, um, it's just like kind of a the smoke monster from Lost. Yeah, for sure. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just like a guy in a bubble. I don't know. It was just kind of a letdown. Um, to get that far and have like uh, the smoke monster from Lost kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to disagree at all. Um, but I sort of like got what they were trying to do. Yeah. Like it was kind of dumb. But once again, I mean, I feel like it. Yeah. The rest of it was well done enough that I was like, all right, I'll let you guys have this one. Well, um, it's just like RE7. I mean, I love the scary mental hospital. Who doesn't like scary mental hospitals? They're right. spooky. Right. Uh, it, it, who doesn't love Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they always have to, like, throw a secret laboratory in at the end. And it, it I don't know, to me, it just deflates the horror. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I And I think it also, it sort of shines this hacky light on a game that had been succeeding before. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the Resident Evil problem, too. It's like you're so right. on the game side, and then it does that, and you're just like... <laughs> This is, you know, it doesn't ruin the game. It's not that you hate it. No. But it's like, yeah, suddenly everything's in a different light and it looks kind of hacky. And you're like, oh, you know, maybe this game was not even really written at all. Yeah. Well, it's like Alien 1 being horror and then the sequels in action movie, action sci-fi. Right. You know, the last third of every Resident Evil game turns into the action sci-fi sequel. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is really weird. I think that might be like a problem with horror games is in terms of theme is that they always have to make it end up being a monster while just human beings are like the perfect monster, you know, there's right. never been like a good serial killer game or something. Right. It's, it's the tension between the game elements and trying to do something that is fundamentally anti game. Yeah. And I think that's like, this genre represents the peak of that struggle. Uh, and once again, we're going to talk about that a lot more when we talk about Soma in the next episode, but it's mm-hmm. like you're trying to make something that's an anti-game, but then you're trying to keep the game elements in and balance them out with these other elements. And it's just like, it just kind of turns into either a total head fuck or a tailspin. And I think that the <laughs> yeah. Resident Evil games and Outlast go more in the tailspin direction of just like this is pretty dumb. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a budget game that's short, that's a night long. You finish it in a night, right? I f- I think people need to embrace that. I mean, we're all busy. Not not every game needs to be Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Well, and I'd rather play a short, tight game that I like a lot a few times 
rather than one game that drags on forever. And that's just me. Yeah. You know, but I, you know, I kind of feel that way about a lot of stuff, you know, or it's like a really long TV series where the ending sucks and you just like compulsively yeah. have to watch the whole series. And it's like, well, what if this was just two seasons like Twin Peaks and I just watched it a bunch of times? Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I mean, um, some albums that should have been EPs, but they <sighs> like fluff it up with a bunch of garbage. So you know? many. Yeah. So many. <laughs> Well, and, you know, speaking of that, I think I want to talk about the sequel to Outlast a little bit because I think it really throws in the sharp relief that tension and how well the first one navigated it because I think the second one just is a total fumble. Um, I Full disclosure, I played maybe 45 minutes of it and hated it. Um, <laughs> the first interaction with a, with a bad guy. I probably died 10 times in a row not understanding the game mechanics. I played the beginning of Outlast 2 before I played Outlast 1. Sure. And it was just infuriating, and it was stupid, and I fucking hated it. Well, guess what, motherfucker? I played the whole game, and I hate it more. (laughs) I mean, it did have cool, like, I love, like, southern gothic mysticism, like, this weird, like, swamp trash mixed with Catholicism kind of creepiness like true detective season one yeah I, I love that as like a milieu oh yeah well and the reason I, I am so mad at Outlast 2 is because I loved so much of it like okay here's the mm-hmm. big changes number one it's got that badass southern gothic aesthetic which rules yeah and yeah. the graphics for the environments are like eye popping it's so fucking gorgeous. Like everything is beautiful. The colors are incredible. It's so, so, so amazing. Um, and the other big thing that they like leveled up is the hiding mechanic. So mm. basically the game is now open environment. So all the environments are much larger. Most of them are outdoors. Uh, And because of that, they adapted it so that the stealth is a lot more nuanced and the AI is a lot more nuanced as well. So it's like if you hide in bushes and it's dark, the enemies won't see you unless you make a bunch of noise. Um, And it works really, really well. Now, for everything that I just listed that I liked about this game, they decided to put a giant fucking handicap on it. Um, So with the hiding, for example, they left barrels and lockers around everywhere. So you can hide in barrels and hide in lockers, but it's like pure RNG. The enemies will probably find you and kill you. Um, As opposed to if you just use the game like they designed it to be, which is that like you can hide wherever you want. It actually works super, super well. And it makes the game so much more fun and nuanced. So you feel like if it was more linear, it would have been more successful. No, I think if they had just gotten rid of all the stupid props, like if there weren't lockers and barrels and all this dumb crap that it's encouraging <laughs> you to hide in when it doesn't work, it actually better. Because like I played the game without, I only hid in the locker once and I got caught. Uh, <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I never use the lockers, not even in Alien Isolation. Yeah, but it's like in Outlast 2, they keep putting this shit everywhere, but then they also improve the gameplay so much that you don't need it anymore. The mm. same thing goes for the graphics, where it's like the graphics are gorgeous, and then they still make you use the fucking camcorder, and the camcorder looks like shit. So <laughs> instead of the first game, it actually added an aesthetic, and the second game, it actually took away the aesthetic. 
Interesting. And so you just keep wanting to look at the game because it's so beautiful and it just won't let you. The big problem, though, beyond that is that they changed how the camcorder works so that you the way that you do anything is timing based. So in the first game, you could choose to record stuff if you wanted to and you had to record for a certain amount of time and yeah. then you got like notes. Um, but you could still pick up notes the normal way. Like you could just walk up and pick up a note. Right. In Outlast 2, the way you pick up notes is the same mechanic as recording clips. So you have to point your camera at it and record it. For like everything? For everything. So, and they put notes in areas that are chase scenes. So the only way that you would collect the notes is if you stopped during a chase and pointed your camera at a note and hit record. Yeah, no thanks. Exactly. What that means is that you missed the entire story. So like I got the to the end of the game and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I looked it up online and it's like, oh, you just missed like all the notes. And I was like, well, yeah, because there were crazy hicks chasing me. But yeah, so it's like you can just they instead of the first game where there were parts of the story that were collectible. Now the entire story is collectible and it's hyper difficult to collect. That's weird. It's horrible. I mean, the whole trope of horror games, everyone leaving notes everywhere and having that as incidental story. It's kind of like goofy and antiquated. But this seems like the the opposite solution to that. Exactly. Like, I've always thought, like, I'd love it if someone came up with a better solution. And this is just someone coming up with a much, much, much worse idea. <laughs> um, the other big problem is that the game, and so here's a spoiler for the ending of the game, although I'm not really going to spoil it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It's stupid, and it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> basically... Like it tries to tackle all these heavy themes like sexual assault and like abortion and, you know, like religion. And it's super weird and heavy handed. And like there's a scene where you watch your girlfriend like give birth and then die. Uh, Holy shit. Yeah. And it's all just like so fucked up and poorly done. And it looks like shit and it's tasteless that I just got to the end and it was just like you guys did not have the ability or like the bandwidth to tackle these heavy topics. And instead of trying to be better or just not trying, you were like, dude, pedal to the metal. Like, (laughs) and it was just like so fucked up. And, and once again, like you also just don't know what's going on. And then once you know what's going on, it makes even less sense. It's like, why did you show me this? Why did you decide to tackle these like, topics and it's it's interesting because i hated that game by the end and it really was mostly like the end like the last couple hours just tank super hard because before that i was Mm. i was so impressed with how they handled the problems from the first game that i almost thought it was a better solution to how to follow up that game than resident evil 7 you know Hmm. uh and then by the end i was like this is horrible like why did you fucking do this why did you well, watch me make me watch simulated death birth? Like <laughs> oh it was so stupid. So uh, one of the questions I came into this episode thinking is, you know, how much do you think resident evil seven owes to outlast a lot? Yeah, a lot. Like the conversation at the time was all about PT, but I don't think so. I think it's mostly outlast. Yeah, I played Outlast um, probably a year after I played RE7. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you know the whole time I was just thinking this is this is so RE7 I mean, it, you know, even when you get to the laboratory yeah the laboratory in RE7 is so much like the lab in uh Outlast right and I and I think that the two series are kind of paralleling each other now because they're both trying to figure out how you solve the problems with this subgenre of games and overall how you fold in different types of horror games and you know, Outlast was an interesting, elegant, partially elegant solution. RE7 was another really interesting, partially elegant solution. Mm-hmm. And just kind of see what they're going to do next with it. But I think RE7 owes a lot to Outlast. Well, word on the streets is that Outlast 3 is going to happen, but it's going to be a big departure for the series. It fucking better be, man. That Outlast 2 sucked so bad. <laughs> It was, yeah. you know, it's just such a bummer. It's like, I finally get how, like, I would feel if I still gave a shit about Metal Gear Solid, where it's like, oh, yeah. they keep throwing in cool ideas and then just like shitting all over them. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it now, guys. I stopped caring after, like, Snake Eater. I kind of stopped caring after Metal Gear Solid. Um, but <laughs> but I, I got that feeling finally where it's like, you almost had it. You almost did it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and the parallel problem of trying to tackle really heavy themes and just fumbling the shit out of it. I mean, ugh, Hideo Kojima is such a fucking dork. He wants to, like, tackle all this stuff, but he does it in the goofiest ways. He's a hack writer. Uh, I feel like he should re- probably just try to make a couple movies or something with all his money. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know if he could write I, a movie, I, man. I don't know. Well, he's, like, a big like David Lynch fan and shit, so it would probably just, like, end up being super weird and, like, pointless. Right, but at the same time, I mean, he needs to let these demons out, and I don't think making like fun games is doing it. <laughs> no, like, yeah. I mean, what we've seen of Death, like I, I don't want to talk shit about like a game that's not nearly out, but what we've seen of Death Stranding is like, I mean, the themes that it makes you think about and everything are really interesting and cool, but like, there's no gameplay. And what are you going to do? You're going to put some video gamey weird shit with your deep meanings of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Well, and I, it's actually really funny that you bring up Death Stranding because I think it's in the same conversation. I mean, he's said in the interviews, he's like, all video games are derived from this arcadey idea that hitting yeah. is your only interaction or taking is your only interaction. You can hit, you can take. And he's like, well, what if there are other interactions? What would that look like? How would that work? That's the whole hide em up genre fundamentally <laughs> is trying to answer that question. And so are yeah. all the sort of anti game horror games. You know, anything that's not Resident Evil 4 Dead Space is trying to answer that question where it's like, what would it look like if you had other interactions? How else could you have this interaction? Death Stranding I'm interested in because it's obviously Hideo Kojima trying to answer that question. But yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think he's got it in him to really do it. Um Yeah. Because he's a hack. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I love Snatcher and I love Police Knots. Snatcher is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. Even though both of those games are just they're extreme tropes. Like yeah. everything from Snatcher is borrowed from something, and everything from Police Knots is borrowed from something. Right. Well, and I think that's when you get to this point in time when we're looking at these games. Like, you can't just take things out and put other things in. Like, 
and once again, I love that this is kind of our wrap up conversation for this because <laughs> like that's literally harks back to what I said at the beginning. Like, uh, you know, we're accidentally doing a full ellipsis here, which is fucking brilliant. But uh, that like the whole item of genre is literally just taking out one element and putting in another. But the games that are effective at it really have a thoughtful design that pushes you towards maximizing all the mechanics in the game. And mm-hmm. the games that are bad at it just feel like they took out the combat and put in the self. <laughs> or it's just pointless, spooky, like Slender Man or something. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, there's no explanation for why you can't fight or why you're even there in the first place. Like, I, I love that there are games that are trying to do it more thoughtfully. And then, yeah, looking at certain games in the future, it's just like, I don't know if you're going to actually have a thoughtful approach to this or if it's just going to be another, like, here we are type situation, you know? Yeah. So yeah, Death Stranding, 0 out of 10, preemptively. I'm going to go re- uh, review bomb it right now. Fuck it. <laughs> I, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen is bae, though. Yeah. Gotta say. Yeah, that's true. Mads Mikkelsen is 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> would. You know, it's just like you have to be open to the idea that if Mads Mikkelsen was in your life, that your sexuality would be different. You just have to be right. open to that, you know, I think. <laughs> Like, Did you see that movie where he played a chicken fucker? <laughs> no, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you gotta watch it. It's great. It sounds great. I mean, it's like, wow, dude, you can like act to be unattractive. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, acting, <Whoa>. huh? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> what acting? It's my solid snake impression. Yeah, there's another movie where he plays like this uh, child molester, or he's accused of molesting a kid. Oh, Lacey shit. made me watch it, and it was just, like, ultimately depressing because he, like, didn't do it. <laughs> and, like, his neighbors, like, killed his dog and shit. And oh. I was like, oh, my God, why am I watching they this? They killed the dog. Come yeah, on. Yeah, they killed... Lacey makes me watch the most depressing shit. <laughs> Lacey, stop <laughs> killing the dog. <laughs> you're killing me. You're killing... Yeah, you're killing the dog. You're killing James. Come on. <laughs> Come on, be a pal. Yep. Anyways. Anyways. Outlast 3. Outlast 3 when 0 out of 10 review bomb starting now absolutely Outlast 3 starting Mads Mikkelsen (laughs) okay now I'm on board